Green Divas and Green Dudes come in many shades of green. Here to help you discover and celebrate your personal shade of green are hosts Green Diva Meg and Maxine Margot, veteran radio chicks who share important news about climate change and the plight of human existence, but somehow manage to make most of it fun and sexy using at least 50 shades of green. Howdy. Welcome to another episode of 50 Shades of Green Divas. We're almost at spring. There's a lot of snow out there, and there's the threat of yet another north nor'easter. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, nor'easters. We've had 3 and in like 10 days. In 10 days, which is very unusual, and another one on the way. And a lot of people in in the northeast lost power, including moi. And it wasn't fun to lose power for over a week. Tell them who Moi is. Moi is me, Green Diva Max. <laughs> and I'm Green Diva Meg. And we're up in the Chepqua. We're up in the Qua studio today. Speaking of winter storms and power outages and all of the stories connecting this extreme weather to climate change, people, it's gotten really crazy. And I don't think our power structure, the grid, and the power companies, I don't think they're prepared for this. Do you? I mean, you've had the experience. Well, how can I say it? Who put the con in con ed? That is my question because they cannot handle emergency storms. Even after Sandy, which was six years ago, Superstorm Sandy, they still have no clue. And people were without power for 10 days which was insane, in the wintertime when it's freezing. And I had to leave my house, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy situation when you're dealing with loss of power when it's very cold. And there are a lot of people who have, you know, people who are elders and sick and babies, and there's no accountability, and that is really bad. And we could bitch and moan all we want, but unless we figure out a way to uh, be more resilient... And to to do things on our own or as individual towns, uh, the monopoly utilities own us. They just own us. And they could do whatever they want, and they do do whatever they want. And, you know, what solutions can there be? We want to try to bring solutions out. And there's a, a few things, you know, that you can look at as possible ways to help for future storms and, and problems with power. And... It could be, hey, you have a generator, but that only does so much unless you're get, getting one for like 10 or 20 grand. You know, I don't know how many people can do that. Uh, then, you know, there's something called the microgrid, which is starting to be something towns are thinking about where they can have a particular area, whether it be solar or wind or something, and they can use it as a, as a backup. But more likely, the word battery comes to mind. Like if we have battery backups, you know, with these grids, then we can see something that's going to help. So there's a lot of weather and weather-related stuff going on, not just for us, but for people all over the world. And I got this invitation to post this infographic, which, you know, I, I probably will at some point. But it's the world's biggest carbon dioxide polluters 
And, you know, it's the major players you think, right? Okay, China, U.S., uh, China, 10,641,789 tons. Did I say that right? No, I didn't say that. 10,640,789 tons. T-O-N-N-E-S. That's a lot. U.S. is 5,172,000-something. Then India, Russia, and Japan. But what was interesting about this, which we thought we would drop in, is a statistic uh, chart about those countries that have a per capita, the highest per capita. And I'm thinking, what are these people doing? It is Qatar, 39.7 tons per cap per person. What? What is that? What are they doing? What are these people doing? Burning coal in their backyard? Uh, Kuwait? United Arab Emirates, Australia. What are our Aussie people doing? Tommy kangaroos down. They shrimp on the barbie. They're having lots of shrimp, <laughs> lots on, the of bar- shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> Turkmenistan. Don't know where that is. <laughs> but that's that. Those are the highest per capita, not the U.S. or China. Or so I don't. I don't understand all that. I guess we're gonna have to dig in at some point. We just want to drop that little bomb on you. <laughs> yeah, when when there's carbon emissions of those levels, then this is all affecting the weather. And yes, there's I've, I've said it a million times, there's weather, but there's climate change causing extreme weather. And we have not seen the likes of this, at least I haven't in my time. And it doesn't seem that we're handing our future generations a nice, clean place to live. Oh, you mean in your 29 years on this planet? <laughs> of course. <laughs> so G.D. Max and I, um, we were really inspired by these kids that are suing the federal government. It's a landmark U.S. federal climate lawsuit, Juliana versus the U.S. Um, one of the judges that heard this case, U.S. District Judge Ann Aiken, said in her opinion that exercising my reason judgment, and this is her talking, I have no doubt that the right to cli- a climate system capable of sustaining human life is fundamental to a free and ordered society. And we, you know, Max and I kind of glommed onto this, like, yeah, this is, this is important. And maybe all things being checked and balanced in power maybe the legal system can really make a big difference where other things have not. Yeah, people sometimes, you know, they talk bad about lawyers and, and the courts, but uh, in this particular case, uh, it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, according to their website, ourchildrenstrust.org, the youth filed their constitutional climate lawsuit called Juliana versus U.S. against the U.S. government in the U.S. District Court for the District of Oregon in 2015. Earth Guardians is also a plaintiff in the case, and their complaint asserts that through the government's affirmative actions that cause climate change, it has violated the youngest generation's constitutional rights to life, liberty, and property, and has failed to protect essential public trust resources, because they knew about this. This has been building up for decades, and they have completely ignored it, and this is what we're left with. So these kids are taking it up. And they're doing what they feel is so important, that they breathe clean air and that their, their siblings and their future children and their grandchildren will have a planet that's inhabitable and breathable. Well, much like 
what we're seeing as the timing of, of our recording of this episode, um, the kids have just walked out and there are more marches planned uh, because they don't want to be shot at anymore in school. So there seems to be this groundswell. The kids are just waking up and saying, wait a minute, I don't have a voice unless I speak loudly, gather together, and, you know, make noise. And I like that these kids are using the legal system, uh, and they've got some adults behind them that really believe in their future. So this is our show topic today. Uh, We didn't get a chance to talk to any of the kids yet, but we will do that down the road. So what what we've done is talk to a couple of other folks who have been pioneers in environmental law, uh, including Maya Van Rossum, who is amazing. She's a Delaware Riverkeeper and author of the book The Green Amendment, and John Parker, who we just talked to. And um, you're going to hear more about each of them in a minute. And, of course, there'll be a silly science fact by G.D. Max. Next thing is this, we, I want to do a quick social media shout-out. Hello, hello. Let us know you're out there, man. Follow us on Twitter at the Green Divas, at Green Diva Mag, at TM Shades of Green. Same thing on Instagram. Uh, obviously, we're on Facebook, the Green Divas Radio Show, and the Many Shades of Green, and uh, all kinds of other places too. We'd love to interact with you. Find us on our website, thegreendivas.com. All the information you need to find us is there. And, uh, yeah, interact, people. We want to know what you're thinking and what you'd like to hear from us. We had the chance to speak with Maya Van Rossum, who is an attorney, uh, environmental advocate, the Delaware Riverkeeper, and author of the book, The Green Amendment, Securing Our Right to a Healthy Environment. In 2013, Meyer and her team won a watershed legal victory that not only protected Pennsylvania communities from ruthless frackers, but affirmed the constitutional right of people in the state to a clean and healthy environment. Following this victory, Van Rossum started the Green Amendment movement dedicated to empowering every American community to mobilize for constitutional change in their own states and eventually the federal government. So I'm Maya Van Rossum. I'm the Delaware Riverkeeper, and I have an organization, the Delaware Riverkeeper Network, and have been working with that organization for um, about 24 years now to protect the the main stem Delaware River, all the tributaries that feed it, and really the river's entire watershed, because you can only protect a river if you protect its watershed. The Delaware flows through New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware, so we work throughout those four watershed states as well as at the national level. And through my work, I've had a lot of wonderful successes of working with communities and protecting important natural resources. But unfortunately, we've had a lot more losses because our environmental protection laws are not written to prevent pollution. They're really written to permit it, very literally. You need to get a permit in order to pollute in the United States of America 
or to manage it in some ways. And through those 20 plus years of work, I've really come to, to realize and recognize that there was a big gap in how we were protecting our environment in the U.S. And there was a, a, a fundamental failure of the law to recognize that people have a right, should have a right, to a healthy environment. So through that work, you know, I came to that recognition. But then in 2012-2013, in our efforts to defeat aspects of drilling and fracking in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, had a tremendous success and experience that really opened up my eyes to the power and importance of having a Green Amendment movement, which means having the passage of environmental rights amendment in the Bill of Rights section of every constitution in every state in the United States of America and at the federal level. And that's what brought me to this moment and to the crafting of the book and the wonderful opportunity to speak with you. Every state has a constitution, and, and that constitution is the top priority legal document in that state that governs, should govern, how the law is implemented implemented in the state, what the rights of the people are, how those rights should be honored and, and protected. It has power over state officials, state government officials, but it does not have power over, for example, the president or the, or the U.S. Congress. It's our federal constitution that has the power over the president, the U.S. Congress, and all federal officials. So when we talk about a Green Amendment movement, we really are talking about passing Green Amendments in every state constitution in the nation. And I believe as people embark on that effort, they will realize and recognize the power and importance of also having a federal constitutional provision. And we will naturally begin the movement of seeking and securing a federal Green Amendment. about the Green Amendment movement and to find tools and opportunities to help people advance the Green Amendment in their state, through their communities, we've created a website, www.forthegenerations, for F-O-R, forthegenerations.org. And there's some writings and there's some tools and there, there's some videos there where people can learn about the concept, how to advance it, and can get in touch with me to the extent that people think it would be helpful for me to come to their community to talk about this concept, they just need to get in touch, and we will make arrangements to get me there so that I can help them advance that in their community and in their state. There is also a website for the book, mayavanrossum.green, and that really talks about the book. Um, there are some other uh, materials available there. One of the things that I have recognized is, is the powerful and important role that young people have in this battle. After all, it really is their futures that is very much yeah. um, on the line and at stake here. And, and they have a powerful perspective and a powerful voice to bring to this whole discussion, debate, argument, and frankly, battle for a clean and healthy future. So as part of the book, we are creating a student guide and a teacher guide to help teachers bring the book and the concept into the classroom at the high school level, at the college level, 
even potentially at the law school level. Okay, it's time for Silly Science Facts with Max. Hello, all you science, silly science fans out there in podcast land. So there was a report in Live Science uh, from the person who did the article is Stephanie Pappas, and she's a contributor to Live Science, and it had to do with an investigation of aliens, you know, aliens, like, do-do-do-do-do. Uh, so, th- so this is kind of my take, you know, with, with some of the input from live science. So here it is. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's an alien. So zo- those of us with the tinfoil hats who seek out extraterrestrials now have a common supporter. The U.S. military has been keeping tabs on UFOs for years, and Navy and Air Force pilots have had weird encounters of the third, fourth, and fifth kind. You might think Area 51 is science fiction, but according to Christopher Mellon, former advisor to Presidents George W. Bush and Bill Clinton, there have been sightings that do not seem to fall into any normal category, which we need to explore. Could these UFOs be supersonic planes or flying saucers developed by foreign countries or aliens? We need to continue to keep an eye on what is entering our atmosphere. According to the New York Times in December 2017, the Defense Department spent $22 million between 2007 and 2012 to investigate UFOs. And they released two declassified videos showing pilots reacting to strange aircraft that seemed to accelerate rapidly with no obvious means of propulsion. Mellon, who is now an advisor to the private firm To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, wrote in the Washington Post that the unidentified flying objects that the pilots encountered were about 40 feet in diameter, that's 12 meters long, and could supposedly dive thousands of feet in a flash. It might sound like an episode of Star Trek, but it is is happening now. So the question is, should the government continue to fund the Defense Department to investigate UFOs? Hmm, one wonders. Where is E.T. now? Where is he phoning home from? Where is he phoning to? Therein lies the question. Another little fact that's been coming into play lately, uh, this is to do with what's in the sky as well. There there was another article, see my go-to is the live science. I love live science, and science is live, so that's good. And uh, so this article uh, that that was uh, written by Laura Gegel, so so now we're keeping with this space theme and, and things that enter our atmosphere. And it might be wise to keep looking upward over the next few weeks as the Chinese space station Tiangong-1 is hurtling towards the Earth. The odds of it hitting someone are pretty low. It's about the same odds of winning the big Powerball lottery. Not to say that the space debris doesn't come crashing down to Earth. It did happen. In 1997, a Delta II rocket struck Lottie Williams, a resident of Tulsa, Oklahoma, on the shoulder. She should have been called Lucky Williams, 
She she wasn't injured and remains the only person to be be hit with a piece of human made space debris. I'm sorry, it's quite a designation. So when the space station hits the atmosphere, it will likely burn up, and when it does, people may see a bright light streaming across the sky. A bright light. So look into the light. It is calculated that it will hit the yellow zone on a map of possible entry, which includes the New York tri-state area. So we, we need to put on our tin hats, you know, or, or hard hats, one of the two. Uh, I am sure the president will call this a Chinese hoax and will dismiss that this will actually happen. Fake news! But in context of what is going on in this crazy world, the fact that most people feel that we are currently living in an alternate universe, anything can happen. Can we all be calm when space debris falls from a space station in the sky that is made in China? I can only say, maybe. Yes, another silly science fact by Green Diva Max. John Parker came to GD Studio Q. John is an environmental lawyer and adjunct professor of law at the Elizabeth Haub School of Law at Pace University. He's the co-chair of the Legislative Committee Environmental Section of the New York State Bar Association. John served as the director of legal programs for Riverkeeper and also served as the task force coordinator for the Rockland County Task Force on Water Resource Management. Recently, Mr. Parker successfully argued against the motion by New York State to dismiss a lawsuit challenging New York's $7.6 billion nuclear subsidy. John gives us some insight into legal actions that have helped the environment and what current litigation suggests about the future of environmental law and how it can impact climate change. John does a great job putting some context to this lawsuit that we mentioned by the kids, Juliana versus the U.S. There are a variety of avenues to deal with environmental issues in the United States, and the technical environmental laws deal with air, deal with water, deal with polluted land. And they're very narrow in focus, but they also have limited ways for public to get involved. With the folks in, in, in the Juliana case, it is something truly remarkable in that they've decided to go outside the traditional realm of environmental law to, to the heart of the Constitution of the United States itself, that they deserve uh, to have environment in, in a country in the future. And they're fearful that the climate change and its very substantial impacts, flooding, changes in drought, changes in weather, changes in sea level rise, are going to really compromise their future. So since there is no one comprehensive climate change law system in the United States, they went and they said, you know, we deserve protection under the law. And we deserve to have the natural resources of this country protected. So that's the case they've, they've advanced. Now, these are... These aren't lawyers or professionals. These are, these are children and, and families. And they're, they're kids saying, hey, you know, we don't have a voice right now. We can't even vote. But we intend to be here when we can. In order to do that, they want to make sure that uh, what they feel has been inaction or not enough action by the United States government and all of its agencies, that 
as they allege and as the court has noted, it's not a case about whether or not there is climate change. Because what they're basically saying is for 50 years, folks have known that carbon dioxide is in fact altering and changing the environment of the planet itself. But what they are saying is something even beyond that. They're saying you aren't doing enough. You are actively leasing out public lands for more fossil fuels. Despite steps and agencies that they've taken, uh, you're not doing enough to address the energy mix in the United States. Are there ways to make it uh, carbon neutral? Are there ways to do it in a, a, a way that will not have long-lasting impact? Uh, I think some have basically said we have, we're on the precipice of forever changing the climate that we rely on. Thousands of years, folks have farmed, moved to rivers, moved to streams, built cities by the bay, by, by the ocean, and now all that's changing right in front of us. And that's what these kids are concerned about. And, and John also offered some great illustration of state constitutional remedies. So there are great examples of, of the power of, of constitutional provisions of law to really make change. And that's particularly true with respect to the environment. Um, in New York is a really great example of this. Um, I don't know, folks are familiar with the Hudson Valley in particular, but from the earliest days, it was viewed as a, a place to, essentially to exploit, whether it was farmland, logging, or otherwise. So what we now know is the Catskill Park and the Adirondack Park were really a, I would use words like a, a logging paradise. And there was no controls. There was no regulations. So they essentially clear-cut large sections of these incredible parks. And at the turn of the last century, folks basically said, what has happened to our beautiful state? And they wanted to do something. So what did they do? Well, they passed what was eventually known as the Forever Wild Clause of the New York State Constitution. It basically prohibited development in the areas that we now know as the Adirondack Park, the largest and most successful state park of its kind in the world. And in the Catskill Park, folks who may have been to New York City and may have had a drink of water know the benefit of the restoration of the Catskill Park. Um, that's where the reservoirs are. So the state constitution changed the way people can do business in the state by creating a foundational principle that these lands would be untouched and they would be restored. And now, if you were to visit, you would see uh, wilderness, far as the eye can see. Folks that were there when it was done would not even recognize uh, where they are now. But it's just an example of uh, concerted action by concerned citizens and using not only federal law, but the state law and changing the way uh, businesses, individuals can act with respect to their interaction with the environment in the state. So, you know how we love to read quotes and cool poems and things at the end? This is our closing segment, which you don't want to miss. Uh, Max, being the soul sister that she is, without any prompting from me, went and found some quotes by Douglas Adams, who is one of my very favorite writers ever. I'm still mad that he left the planet. But uh, So we're going to read to you a couple of our favorite quotes by Douglas Adams that seemed 
possibly relevant to our slightly science fiction, silly science facts. I'm going to start with one here. It is a well-known fact that those people who most want to rule people are ipso facto those least suited to do it. To summarize the summary, anyone who is capable of getting themselves made president should on no account be allowed to do the job. <laughs> One must laugh. There is nothing else you can do. How true. How did Douglas Adams come up with that one? Premonition. Premonition. Um, and of course, Douglas Adams is very famous for the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So that is something that is universally known. So there is a theory which states that if ever anyone discovers exactly what the universe is for and why it is here, it will instantly disappear and be replaced by something even more bizarre and inexplicable. There is another theory which states that this already happened. My very favorite quote, which I have made into a meme with a dolphin. On the planet Earth, man had always assumed that he was more intelligent than dolphins because he had achieved so much, the wheel, New York, wars, and so on, whilst all the dolphins had ever done was muck about in the water having a good time. But conversely, the dolphins had always believed that they were far more intelligent than man for precisely the same reasons. You've been listening to The 50 Shades of Green, a collaborative gig between the Green Divas and the Many Shades of Green radio shows, happily recorded at Green Diva Studio. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts and The Many Shades of Green on iHeartRadio, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Stitcher, among other places. You can find more information about this show and much more on thegreendivas.com. 